0: to page 7 and 8 now. We're going to hear from the Scriptures first with the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 64, and then uh, Luke in chapter 2. Isaiah 64, verses 1 to 4. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect you came down and the mountains trembled before you since ancient times no one has heard no ear has perceived no eye has seen any god besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him and then luke chapter 2 verses 25 to 38 now there was a man in jerusalem called simeon who was righteous and devout He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was custom of the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She'd never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. This is the word of the Lord.
1: thanks Thanks be be to God. god let's pray father we ask you now to give us simeon's heart wanting what you want looking for what you will bring waiting patiently for the desire of nations to come we want you to also give us anna's heart aging yet never giving up on the hope that you offer in christ and talking telling everyone about the hope that you bring give us this heart in the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, and the glory of God the Father. Amen. What is it about Jesus? We've been asking that through the season of Advent and Christmas. Everywhere He went then, people were amazed. Uh, Even now, He captivates hearts, billions of them, mine included. This morning, we continue our Christmas series, since it's still Christmas, uh, with another they marvelled text from the Bible, and you can see that series on the bottom of page 6. Where is our, they marvelled in our text today? Well, it's in verse 33, on the bottom of page 5 of your orders of service. The context is uh, that God has said to Simeon that he wouldn't die uh, before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah, so he's got to see the Lord's Messiah. Uh, Then he sings this song of hope after holding Jesus in his hands, he basically says lord now let your servant depart in peace. And then in verse 33 the child's father and mother Mary and Joseph marvelled at what was said about him. There it is, they marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to the to Mary his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. There will be conflict and so the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too, Simeon said to Mary. Now the original word in the original language of the Bible, uh, which is Thalmadzo, it means uh, to marvel or to, to be in wonder, to be amazed or awestruck, to, to be gobsmacked effectively. Uh, The child's father and mother were gobsmacked at what Simeon said about their baby. Remember Napoleon's words from Christmas Eve? I marvel, said Napoleon Bonaparte, that where the ambitious dreams of myself and of Alexander and of Caesar should have vanished into thin air, empires rise and fall. He says a Judean peasant, a Judean peasant should be able to stretch his hands across the centuries and control the destinies of men and of nations. Now, part of being amazed is waiting or thirsting and then receiving after a long period of waiting, of hungering. That's what you learn from the stories of Simeon and Anna that were read today. Waiting is fascinating, of course. It's fascinating psychologically. You know, anticipation and how it plays in our hearts. You know, you're waiting for a holiday to come up. You're one of the few that aren't. Or maybe you were up. Maybe you are on holiday, but those who are waiting, for example, for a holiday to come up, they're anticipating. Is the anticipation better than the thing itself or the memory of it later? Perhaps in 2020, you're hoping for a new job or a new promotion. There are some things you can do, but there's a lot out of your control, and so you're waiting. Perhaps in 2020, you're getting married, or watching a son or a daughter getting married, or maybe you're pregnant or hoping to get pregnant, or you have a child or a grandchild who's pregnant, and there you are waiting. There's nothing you can do about that. It's nine months. Perhaps you have a husband or a wife that won't change quickly enough. You'll be waiting a long time. All very normal, all very ordinary. U.S. Pastor Paul Tripp says this, waiting will always reveal where you've placed your hope. What you wait for tells you what you're hoping for. Your heart, he writes, is always exposed by the way in which you wait. Are you scrambling? Are you controlling? What you wait for and how you wait. Now all those hopes I just mentioned a moment ago, important as they are, they are for a follower of Jesus, what you might call little hopes, even if they're Important, there's still little hopes compared to what you might call the biggest hope or ultimate hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul will quote Isaiah when he says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Followers of Jesus are not half-hearted creatures hoping for my lot to become a little better. We are full hearted, wanting the whole world to be renewed and forgiveness to come my way through Jesus Christ as a door to the hope we have for the world. You know the joke they say about Miss World? What do you want? She pauses and has to say, What does she say? World peace. You roll your eyes. Well, we really do. That's what we want. Call me Miss World but world peace that comes not through politics, but through the coming of Jesus Christ. The Bible gives this decisive moment a bunch of names. For example, the arrival of the new Jerusalem from Revelation, or the new heavens and the new earth, home. Jesus called it the renewal of all things. It's the parousia, or the eschaton, if you like Greek the fulfilment of all that God had promised. is heaven come down, as the creed says, we look for the resurrection of the dead. We yearn for it and the life of the world to come. This is a big hope, not a little hope. It's the ultimate hope. In the prayer for the second Sunday of Advent, we call it the blessed hope, the world we created to be what God wants it to be. We believe it. The resurrection is the first step towards it. And when does it come? Well, according to the New Testament, it comes when the Lord comes at his arrival. James 5, verse 7 is very topical. And I presume, Gene, we're going to pray for firefighters and farmers. Would that be fair in a few moments' time? Listen to this. James writes, be patient then, sisters and brothers, until the Lord's coming. Then James writes, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Learn from them as they wait patiently for the autumn and spring rains. I mean, we could learn something from farmers now like you've never learnt. Yearning for rain. When is it coming, they say. Now you too, James writes, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. That passage is not about rain, although we'll pray for rain. It's using farmers waiting for rain as an example of what it might mean for you and I to wait for the Lord's coming. As the hymn says, When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. And so we're called to actively wait, Psalm 40, to wait patiently for the Lord. That's what I call active waiting. I don't mean being active while waiting, although that might be a valuable thing to do, but I'm talking about actively waiting waiting expectantly waiting patiently waiting with a thirst waiting with hunger and so we go back to simeon and anna why because they're examples of people who waited expectantly the outline is there on page six uh, for those writing notes why was simeon happy about dying or why was he at peace about his death and why wouldn't anna stop talking you couldn't you couldn't stop her from talking why So, firstly, why was Simeon at peace about dying? What's interesting, by the way, is you don't find out Simeon's age, in contrast to Anna, where you have her exact age. I like to think, although I have no proof, that Simeon was perhaps a younger man. Why do we assume he was older? That would make some sense. But he's got one thing he wants to see, whatever his age is. In verse 28 there at the temple, he took Jesus, baby Jesus, in his arms, and when he did that, he responded by saying, I'm happy about dying, Lord, verse 29, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, I'm satisfied with my impending death. Why? Well, we find out that God had given him a specific revelation, that he wouldn't die before seeing the Lord's Messiah, how special, when he holds that baby in his hands, verse 30, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Frederick Bigner once wrote this. He said, when the moment finally came, one look through his cataract lenses was all it took. Bigner assumes age. He asked if it would be all right to hold the baby in his arms, and they told him to go ahead, but be careful not to drop him. That's what all parents say. He doesn't. Simeon doesn't drop Jesus. Instead, he's moved to poetry, what we call the Nunc Dimittis, four verses inspiring hundreds of composers to write beautiful music. Verse 29: Sovereign Lord, as you've promised me personally, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations a light of revelation to the Gentiles, to non-Jews, and the glory of your people Israel. Now, notice a few things here. Notice he feels free to die. Verse 29, not because his personal dreams are fulfilled, not like he got the holiday he wanted, or he finally, you know, got married and had a child and saw a grandchild, and so now because he's personally fulfilled, he's happy about dying. No, he's free to die because God had promised him that he would not die before seeing the Lord's Messiah. Notice also, this child is the hope of the entire world, a light for nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. He is destined to change the whole world, including Australia, which you discover is the ends of the earth, except for New Zealand. The only thing on Simeon's bucket list is seeing the Lord's Messiah. So a question for you and for me? What would you have to see in life? What would you have to do before you can finally say, I'm okay. My life is fulfilled. I'm at peace about dying. You know, we put quite a few things on our bucket list, but it whittles away. Imagine if you could only put one thing. What would it be? Secondly, why wouldn't Anna stop talking? Well, in verse 36, we've got a prophet. She's aging. She's a widow. When she sees Jesus held by Simeon, she rushes up to them in that moment. Verse 38, she sees God's fresh start. She sees God's new beginning for the world. Halfway through verse 37, she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them in that very moment. It's a lovely kairos moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She talks nonstop to anyone who listened, to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So, question for you and for me, what would you have to do or see before you saw the thing? that you had to tell people over and over and over and over again, maybe even before people started to beg you to stop talking. Let's drill down a bit in these two stunning stories. In both these cases, Simeon and Anna, they saw a person, they saw a human being, they saw Jesus, and after seeing Jesus, their hopes were fulfilled. They didn't um, see his life, they didn't see his death and his resurrection, we'll come to that in a moment. But they said this one is the hope of the world notice then that god's salvation his hope is a person jesus is our salvation the hope doesn't come through a a manifesto that often destroys lives rather than lifts them up the hope doesn't come from a government program or budget cuts as important as those things might be god's salvation is in a person and that person is jesus christ but here's the key that hope comes in a way that does not deny the complexity of life. And you know how complex life is. We'll come to that in the the conclusion in a few moments' time. Simeon was waiting for, verse 25, the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the comfort of Israel, for Israel to be comforted. Now, what's that? Anna, similarly in verse 38, is looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. What's that? The comfort of Israel... The redemption of jerusalem now those things might might seem strange to you and me but these two phrases were well known to those people who are looking for the one god of all to come and restore the world the answer to what is the comfort of israel what is the redemption of jerusalem has to do with israel's story now stay with me here because simeon and anna are a door into that story. Simeon and Ansa are fueled to read back and they invite us into Israel's story by inviting us to consider Jesus. What is that story? It's a very Jewish one. It begins in Abraham, is confirmed with David and promised in the exile. Simeon and Anna are worshipping and following the one true God and they are Actively waiting, they are looking forward to, they are straining ahead, they are hungering and thirsting for the comfort of Israel, the redemption of her people. These two phrases are shorthand for Israelites to talk about that moment when God fulfills all His grand promises made through, for example, the prophet Isaiah and others to Israel and to the world that God's kingdom will come, that His will will ultimately be done on earth as it is in heaven people like simeon nourish themselves on isaiah 40 comfort comfort my people says your god and speak tenderly to jerusalem and say to her that her sin has been paid for that she's received from the lord's hand double for all her sins a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way for the lord they wanted god to come as it says in isaiah 64 that mark read to us a few moments ago since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who those who wait for him, those who cry to God, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. What is Christmas but an answer to that prayer? They're waiting for God to fix things up, to help us, to redeem us, to lift up the lowly and the humble to feed the hungry with good things, to forgive us, for God to be in charge again, for God to come. This is God's world. He made it and he wants it back. And they believe this so strongly that when they hold Jesus in their arms, they know that they're holding God's new beginning. They're holding salvation. And now we share that hope at Christmas and all year round, saying that jesus christ is the hope of the world not just of israel this birth is the most significant birth of the universe was then and will always be and simeon and anna were among the first to spot it along with the shepherds we learned on wednesday and so simeon's heart pounded with joy and anna's mouth was moved with hope And so how do we wait? We wait actively, patiently, thirstingly. We raise our eyes. Our eyes are set often, not always, but often, too low. It's time to set your sights higher. Perhaps you might examine your hopes, your dreams, your yearnings, your thirsts, and ask yourselves the question, as important as they are to you, are they too small? Are they too personal? Is it attached to personal happiness, to property and income? Maybe it's attached to other people. She'll make me happy. He'll bring me joy, which, of course, is to load that person with far more than they can bear. She wasn't designed to bring you happiness. He's not there to bring you joy. God is. Perhaps they're attached to personal fulfilment maybe even to politicians, as we reject and ridicule hashtag thoughts and prayers. As important as these things are, Australians, of course, have largely severed ourselves from the Bible and the promises of God, and yet we still live in a broken world. We name it, and then we decide to become activists in it because we think that's the only hope, not the thoughts and prayers. We don't couple it with the promises of God, and what he's determined to do through Jesus Christ. And because we don't easily recognise that, we choose to pursue lesser comforts than the ones God has promised. It happened in Haggai's day and Malachi's day when they set apart, said about fixing up their panelled houses, renovating their own homes instead of doing the work of God. And so we go for comfort, higher incomes, easier lifestyles, comfort food perfect cup of coffee, the ultimate trip overseas. But these are good things, but they are a mere shadow. The hope that God has for the world is bigger and therefore deeper. And it penetrates deep into hearts when you have this hope of his arrival, his turning up to forgive sins, this comfort that comes. He is my hope. He is my only hope. I watch Star Wars. Help you, Obi-Wan your only hope turns out not to be true what are the things you'd like to do in 2020 continue to raise a family or have one in the first place get married perhaps or watch a child or a grandchild get married get the job of your dreams to perhaps just be happy or fit it's one of mine we'll see how we go in 2 months perhaps it's to become great at one thing to just genuinely make your mark On the world or at least on a corner of it these are good things but they are shadows of the redemption that come in jesus christ and how does that comfort come well we discover in verse 35 from the word of simeon to mary it comes through a sword it comes through conflict not the sword of politicians oh no but rather the sword that pierces Jesus' own life, a Roman sword that put Jesus on a cross. Frederick Bickner again, he says this, then something about the mother stopped him and Simeon's expression changed. What he saw in Mary's face was a long way off, maybe 30 or more years, but it was there so plainly in her face that he couldn't pretend. A sword will pierce through your soul, Simeon said to Mary. He would rather have bitten off his tongue than said it, but there in that holy place, he felt he had no choice. Then he handed her back the baby and departed in something less than the perfect peace he'd dreamed of all the long years of waiting. He thought it was going to be a bit like a poster, you know, Christmas, of course, is about joy and peace and hope. But you know that you live in a complex life, and Christmas does not deny it. The comfort that God brings only comes through conflict. Peace only comes through pain. And I know that because resurrection only comes through death first. And anyone who tells you otherwise is trying to tell you something. They're trying to feed little hopes or sell you a poster with a ditty on it. In our broken and divided world, it has to be that peace comes through conflict. We just think things will just get better or perhaps come through political action. And so unlike Anna, we go for a moderate faith, a moderate religion, a moderate Jesus, and a moderate life, seeking to act and control other things. But this is not how peace is formed. Peace comes in a broken and divided world through conflict. As you read through the gospel, and I urge you to read through a gospel through January, perhaps start with loose gospel, if you've been enjoying the series, the great conflict the, great, the greatest comfort is the sword that pierced Jesus' side, the nails that were put into his hands. Mary saw it, Simeon spoke of it, her, her heart was pierced, it was penetrated in, anticipated, in anticipation of her son dying. But on that cross, peace was offered to the world, hope delivered through his resurrection. Hope first to the human heart via forgiveness, you can receive it this morning and then to communities like our own and ultimately at his coming to the whole world. And I want you to think in this moment about a surgeon, a loving surgeon who's been called to cut out a cancer. A surgeon doesn't say to a patient, look, I'm here to fix up your problem, and so I've got a Christmas card that says peace and goodwill. No, a surgeon who loves her patient puts that patient on an operating table and indeed spills blood to get the thing that's killing you. She cuts you open. It's the nature of the fight with cancer. If I can put it this way, the scalpel has to exist in a world of cancer in the same way that the cross of Jesus has to exist in the world of sin because we have a loving doctor who heals lives. That's why Jesus said, The Son of Man must die ahead of his resurrection. And when we look at his resurrection, we begin to raise our sights and our hope as well, to the ultimate hope rather than the mere little hopes. Let's pray. Father, we choose now here the life of Simeon and Anna who waited expectantly, patiently, with a thirst and a hunger, we pray that you'll give us a patient restlessness for you to come and change the world. And so here we now, we bring our thoughts and prayers before you and ask you to act. We pray that you'll act in this fallen world. In a moment's time, we'll pray for drenching rain on the fires and for good government, but we Pray ultimately that our hopes would be in Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection from the dead and his, in his coming again to restore all things. We want to yearn like Simeon yearned and speak like Anna spoke. Help us to do this for Christ's sake. Amen.